Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Swirl Suite on this chilly January day. Happy New Year to those that we have not talked to. We're looking forward to more exciting wine-related events and gadgets and wine. But tonight, we have Chris. I'm not going to screw his last name up right now. We're going <laughs> to introduce himself. However, Chris from Corvin. And we're going to talk all about preserving those wines that you open that you can't finish. But this device is the device to have. We have every one of our lovely co-hosts this evening, Sarita, Leslie, and Tanisha. So sit back, relax, and get ready for the ride. I love it. I love it so much. Hey, guys. I'm loving these Glenda's introductions. I like <laughs> Aren't they wonderful? I love it. I love it so much. I got to earn my weight in wine and wine gadgets somewhere. <laughs> we are two sites because we all got Corvins uh, due to our wonderful special guests. We cannot wait to show them off. It's a baby. It's a beautiful little baby. <laughs> I've already been playing with mine. I've already taken video and pictures. So, yes, we're we're very sized. Uh, how's everybody doing? How have the last couple of weeks been? See, good, great, exciting. You got to tell us about your retreat. Oh, yeah. So I could go on for hours, but I will choose not to. I was going to um, say, girl, you got a smooth three minutes. <laughs> okay. okay. I'll do one and a half. Okay. So we had, um, I partnered with this uh, wonderful individual. Her name is Tene Teresa Noy. And she is a coach. I recognize everybody in this and their mother is a coach, but she is a radical self-love coach who teaches people how to take time for themselves because, you know, we're so busy that we always put ourselves last. Unintentionally, intentionally, we do that. So we had a retreat with, I think it was third, it was a total of, 15 of us, but we had 11 women and we went up to the Poconos Nice. and we went to Aquaba Inn, the mansion at Noble Lane. So if, if you're not familiar with it, Aquaba Inn has bed and breakfasts. It's owned by Monique Greenwood, who is a native Washingtonian. She also was the second, the first predecessor after Susan Taylor at essence she was the editor-in-chief and she purchased her and her husband purchased the old Woolworth mansion in the Poconos their their winter home let's not be confused about their main home this was their winter home and um it was a weekend of indulgence and sisterhood and um just relaxing Everybody had spa treatments. There is a spa in the mansion, so you do not have to leave the property at all. And we did a cooking class. It was just magnificent. I didn't think it could get any better, but it was awesome. And um, and it was it was just refreshing. It was it was definitely about sisterhood. So we're doing it again in September. Nice. We're doing it, and it we're we're halfway booked already for September. Well, that's fantastic. That is excellent. So is it the Woolworth heirs to the old Woolworth um, five and dime chain? Yes. Mm -hmm. wow. wow. Which, you know, is very symbolic. Um, so Monique was there for most of the time while we were there. And I did not connect the dots, but she connected the dots. She, you know, she said, I am a black woman who owns the former Woolworth mansion and the Woolworth um, sit-ins, the counter sit-ins started the civil rights um, movement, movement, movement. And so it is a big full circle moment that a black woman has bought this property when you couldn't sit at their lunch counters. And I was like, this is very moving. Yep. And at the lunch counter were four students from North Carolina A&T State University. Just to Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Aggie Pride. I just thought I was getting ready to say, go ahead and say it. Go ahead and say it. <laughs> while, we're, while we're here. 
the last time that I was at um, the mansion, because um, I've been there as well, um, Monique was also there. And she said that she had no intention of buying another property. But yep. when she learned the history of the property, she was like, oh, my oh my God, there's no way that I, I can pass this up. So she ended up. Is this the latest one or is there one after this one, Leslie? There's one after this one. Okay. Um, that was the she bought another one in Philadelphia. And she is also opening up a tea room nice. right across the street from the one in Philadelphia. But this nice. one is the largest one that she has. That's fantastic. Tanisha, what's going on in Paris? Not too much. I actually just got back. I was in the South in Avignon at a conference. I think I told you about this, uh, the Soil and Biodiversity Conference. I went and did that last week. But um, before that, we did a press day in Chateauneuf de Pop. So that was fun. We went to three different wineries around Chateauneuf and um, drank some stuff, saw the little <laughs> smooth stones. And I'm saying little, they're actually huge rocks. Um, but saw those, it got rained on a little bit. And then it was a little chilly. And while I was down there, it snowed in Paris. So everybody got to send me video and show me snow in the city. So there's that. Hmm. All I've been doing is shoveling snow. <laughs> yeah, about doing that. Mm -mm. Nothing exciting. My my little sighting life don't start till later on in the year. So I can't touch none of that. I didn't get invited to the retreat. Well, that's because you don't have problem taking time for yourself. So you ain't need that. If anybody's well, gonna take time to yourself, it's Glenn's here. Glenn is not gonna overwork. Glenn is gonna take time. Nobody got to tell Glenn to take no day off. So that's not check, check, check. Oh, I just have a short recap. I was a judge for the Virginia Governor's Cup last week. Yes, recap um, us. Thought I was gonna get stuck in the mountains. Um, we were at Bro Vineyards, but our um hotel was in West Virginia. It was very cold when I got there, and I was like, ooh. Oh, it's much colder here than it is at home. And it snowed. <clears throat> it snowed the entire time. It went from light to medium to heavy. And of course, the heavy day was on that last day when we all had to drive home. But everybody got there safe. Um, this was the longest judging that I've been a part of. That was three straight days of nothing but tasting wine. Um, I'm glad I still enjoy wine. It was a lot of it. Um, it was the first time that I experienced... Um, all the effects of drinking wine back to back to back. So, um, of course you get that like uncomfortable, like stickiness in your mouth from all the tannins, your lips are dry. You're, you have that film that's over your, your teeth and your tongue and all that. But this time my teeth got sensitive. So on that last, on the second day, the end of the second day, I could barely brush my teeth because my teeth were so sensitive. That's wow. how much wine we tasted and that was the first time that ever happened so it happened to most of the group but it was um it was definitely challenging I learned some different new some new um palate cleansing snacks um so the guests got to request what snacks they wanted um to break things up carrots hmm. carrots is new um mm -hmm. apples actually work as long as they're not too too sweet mm -hmm. um and somebody had olives on there I didn't, I felt like the olives was going to disturb my palate. So I didn't eat those, but some people ate olives. Um, and of course, an array of crackers and water or whatever. But it was, um, I mean, constantly learning. Um, and Virginia has some- How was the wines? wines? The wines were great. We started out with bubbles. So I was very happy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, the wines were good. I was I was really impressed. I mean, it was it was some good. It, it was some bad. But um, I don't- and, like, I we had like three straight rounds of Petit Verdot. Don't show me that wine no more. I don't. I don't need to see that wine for another six months. Do not show it to Love me. Love it. Oh my Even goodness! For you, you won't. Outside of Virginia, you're not about to get that much. So yeah, because it's basically a blending wine everywhere else. So I wonder if it's because Virginia wines tend to be very high in acid. Mm. And that's probably why your teeth got sensitive. It was, yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, that it was a lot. But I'm glad you're bringing this to everyone's attention because they think it's all fun and games and a yeah. great life. And like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, you get to wine taste all day. Sounds amazing. What a mm -hmm. cool life. 
<laughs> Uh, it's fun for like the first two hours. yeah. Imagine <laughs> if like, you do that for a living, like Leslie, you have to taste a bunch of wines because you have yeah. to pick them from your wine club. And Mm I'm hmm sure our special guest, Chris, also has to taste wine a lot. So I, I mean, imagine doing this every day, all day. I don't know, man. I'm going to put in a, pl uh, a shameless plug for Sensodyne toothpaste. Okay. We might need to have them on. Not only does it recoat your teeth, Keep it from becoming sensitive. It does have a slight whitener because if you're tasting reds, you're going to get some staining. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And my dear friends of the Swirl Suite know how I am about oral and how your teeth need to look, Yeah. feel, and Yeah. always be on point. Mm hmm So, since Okay. um, Sensodyne um, toothpaste is the absolute best Noted. for wine, wine Noted. professionals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a bu bunch of other stuff to uh, tell people about because I got a lot because I did a video recap and I got a lot of comments and questions and DMs. How can I become a judge? I'm going to do a whole post on whether like you think this is a good idea. I want you to watch this Yes. entire video and I'm going to go I'm going to go through everything you need to know about being a wine judge and you decide if you still want to be one because you might not. It's a lot. I think we're ready for our special guest. Chris, welcome to the Swirl Suite. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> Fun Of to hear course. your guys' catch up. Thank you for sharing. Yes, And absolutely. uh, I, uh, Glynis, I'm with you. Sensodyne, it's uh, it's a must have. Um, my wife laughs. I, I, every time I go to Costco to shop, I come back with boxes of Sensodyne, and she Because says, they have the three "We still pack. have, we still have another box." And I said, "Just in case." Exactly. You know? <laughs> I have, I bought it and I live by myself, Chris. I buy it because it comes in the three pack with the That's long right. tube. And I I think I'm on tube number two. It's been a month, Mm -hmm. you know. I keep in, I have the little ones for travel. Yes, totally. No, I'm with you. Chris, welcome again. And please introduce yourself to everybody. Uh, so Chris Puppioni and uh, I'm live live out here in the Russian River in uh, Sonoma County, California, and uh, California native. Uh, grew up in Oakland uh, originally, and uh, first moved up here when I was. 19 uh and over the last 30 years have moved away come back moved away come back um uh, it was now 11 years ago 12 years ago when i moved back for the last time and figured okay i'm giving up if i keep coming back here there must be a good reason uh so i uh, live out here at the river uh in a little town called forestville uh it's where um Some people would know William Selium uh, was started in a garage here in Forestville, so the Pinot Noir brand, and uh, live out here with my wife and my two kids, and uh, I help oversee U.S. wineries for Corvin, and um, my wife and I also have our own little wine label uh, that uh, I like to tell people it's not what keeps the lights on, but it might be the thing that turns them off if I'm not careful. So uh, we'll see how we do, but we've been having fun so far. So thanks for having me. You didn't get any snow on Tuesday, so now you're bragging about going back and forth to the Russian River. Okay, Chris, I see how you operate. Okay. Now, now we Okay. we had we had flooding overnight, so we we do have road closures around the neighborhood. Um, so that's our, uh, you know, we tell we tell the kids. My my daughter was complaining about want. Uh, she's six. She was complaining about the rain yesterday, and uh, I said, you know. If the, the rain and the floods are all that we have to worry about, here's what everybody else, everywhere else has to deal with. Everybody gets their challenges. This one's just ours. So, If we could back up a bit, because um, sure. Mm you made a transition to wine uh, hmm some time ago, but I did read that your great-grandfather made his wine at home with grapes he brought from a local grower, and he carted around in a horse-drawn carriage. So were you, did you witness all of this? Oh no, my, my, so my great grandfather, um, he, he's the one who brought our family over from Italy. Uh, my grandfather at the time, um, we have a great photo on our, on our website for our, our wines, um, of the family that came over. And, um, it's so cool. Little kids dressed like little businessmen back then. It's just like, they, if you did a close up, you'd swear they were 30. Uh, but you know, it's, you know, so they, Uh, they came over from Italy and um, 
you know, it was a, it was a, it was a tough time to be um, actually to be Italian uh, in California, uh, specifically Oakland. And so um, that's in America period. Cause yeah, you well, were <laughs> okay. We, that's another podcast, but <laughs> I'm going to help you out. Thank you. Um, so yeah, so my grandfather and a bunch of other uh, gentlemen who worked at the local rock quarry uh, in Oakland um, banded together and created their own little organization, not the mafia, um, but uh, they they just looked after each other's interests um, to help each other out, but mostly was also to retain uh, traditions um, from back home. And so uh, children who were born uh, into their little community, um, you know, they spoke Italian at home and the ones who didn't were taught. Uh, they held dances like they did back in uh, Piemonte. That was the the region that our family's from. And um, there were dinners and recipes were passed on. And this ended up evolving into a club called the Colombo Club, uh, which is now the largest uh, Italian men's club in the United States. Uh, headquartered in Oakland. And um, to this day, over 100 years now, uh, people in the community can go and learn Italian, go to traditional dances, there's weekly dinners, uh, things like that, and scholarship programs for children, which we're doing right now with that as well. So part of those traditions were, of course, also making wine. And so uh, not far from Oakland, of course, was Livermore, and a gentleman would come out with his horse and grapes on the back. And, uh, you know, the Italians don't really care too much. This is why field blends are so great here in California, because the Italians just planted whatever. The vine died, you plant something else. What is it? We don't know, but it's right in there. And uh, you sweep the grapes off of the cart into a bucket and haul the bucket into the basement. And, uh, yeah, he would set up slats. Uh, just with a small space in between them and they would foot tread the grapes. The juice would fall through and collect into a pan and you just put it all into a giant barrel and whack it with a bunch of sugar to get that fermentation going and uh, maybe drive the alcohol up a bit. Uh, and that was what he would do. So, Got a question. Please. Always wanted to know. So let's talk about this foot stomping stuff. Sure. Did you wash your feet first? How yeah. did that? Was there some sanitizer going? <laughs> now, I can't speak for Go my great grandfather. I can't. I can't speak for him. Uh, but my wife and my kids and I, in making our wines, we do foot tread all of our wines, and okay. so um, to honor that tradition, and so we do sanitize our feet uh, and uh, very, very diligently. Um, and we're not. It's not so much we're worried about. Uh, what's on our feet originally, it's uh, trouncing around the winery and what could possibly get in, in there if there's bacteria around the winery. So um, we're just trying to be careful with that and keep our fermentations clean. But um, for us, it's, it is honoring tradition, but I think also the other part is for me, as as I get into every bin that, that we uh, make wine with, um, because the grapes feel different. And so for me, I, it, I don't know if this is true or I just something I believe now. It just, I feel something in the grapes and it gives me a sense of what I may or may not want to do uh, going forward uh, in how they feel under my feet. And so um, the kids will be good sports for a while. Then they bail out. My wife she gets in for a photo op and she's not having it beyond that. So uh, that's about it. The grapes are too cold and uh, she's, she's really good at taking pictures. So we just let her do that. <laughs> that's a, that's amazing. That intuitive aspect of what you feel, because it's again, one with nature for me. Sure. So you feel whether it, you intuitively know, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. And that's, yeah. that's, that's a very interesting aspect because most of Americans, the first time they really saw folks tripping on grapes was I love Lucy. You know, for us, um, it also, it also allows us to do some fun things with the wines themselves. You know, we, we make a, we make an Italian white, we call it Festa Bianco. Uh, it's made with Friolano and, um, 
I've found that giving it a little skin contact is nice. So by doing the foot tread and we set it aside for a few hours, just a bit, uh, and it really gives a lens a little color, but Friolano also has a really great texture that it can place into the, into the wine. So by foot treading it and leaving it before we then press it off, just that those few hours of contact time we think, and again, we think because I haven't done anything different, but I, I, it sounded like a great idea. I tried it and we're like, hmm, okay, let's do that again. Um, it's, I think it's how we cook, how we create art, um, you know, things like that. We just find something that strikes us and uh, we like the outcome. So you weren't always in the wine industry. What no. were you doing before then? And what was your, what was that aha moment? It was like, okay, I need to enter the wine industry. Sure. Um, so my parents were teachers and they, um, I wouldn't say they discouraged us from being teachers, but they, we saw, you know, how tough uh, that can be. And, um, but my parents were fantastic teachers and administrators and coaches. And so it backfired because they were so good at it. They made it look good. And so, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to do that too, to have that effect, to have kids come up to you, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later and, and let you know, you know, how much it mattered, what you did and who you were for them. And so uh, I became a teacher and a coach uh, when I was 22. Uh, that was, I, I spent a year as a, as a sports writer. Um, I was going to write the great American novel, all that good stuff. And then uh, I was going to teach other kids how to do it. So I, I was a teacher and then um, I had a lot of success coaching. Uh, actually, I had been an athlete in high school and college and um ended up with a coaching career in track and field that led me to be um, a head coach at UC Davis uh, at one point and uh, coached a few Olympians uh, after that time as well. And so I had a lot of fun doing that, but um, coaching doesn't pay a lot. Uh, either does wine and either does teaching. So I'm cursed, really. It doesn't matter. I I seem to navigate towards careers that are going to just make me no money whatsoever, but at least I'm doing things I enjoy. And so um, when I was teaching and there were, I was teaching in Sonoma County at, at first. And so a lot of owners of wineries around here, their children were my students. And so one of the best days of the year was the last day before Christmas break. The kids thought they were excited. I was more excited because I could bring an empty case box to and put it on the end of my desk. And these kids whose parents owned wineries would fill that case box before the end of the day. And I'd take home wine for the holidays. It was wonderful. Um, and I and again, being in the family I was in, we drank wine all the time. It was just part of you didn't really notice. It was like another thing on the table. And so I was fascinated by it, I, you know, and as I started developing a taste for wine, I mean, I remember the first time I dumped a wine out at a tasting room, my, my friends who I was with were mortified, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I, oh, I didn't like it. And they, so what, you know, they, they was like, we're drinking. And, uh, and I was like, and I knew I was in trouble because all of a sudden I had um, taste and preference. And so I, I became curious about what made that happen. And so when my passion for education changed as the landscape of education changed, quite frankly, uh, there's no better way to put it. It just wasn't the same. Uh, and so I needed to find something else to do. And so I reached out to some of those parents whose kids I taught, and that's how I got my first job. And in my typical fashion, when I'm interested in something, I kind of go whole hog. And so I started taking coursework and classes and all. And there we go. Wow. We have quite a bit in common. My mother's a teacher and she left the profession and ended. Well, she retired because mm -hmm. the system had changed. Mm -hmm. Same thing, everything that you said, pretty much. Chris, what is it? What does it mean when you are in charge of North American wine? Or Corbin, what does what does that so, mean in everyday speak? Yeah, so uh, 
I'm on a uh, Corvin. We're a very small company. Uh, I think, I think that um, because the company's done such a great job of earning this terrific reputation. I think people think we're really, really big. Uh, the team I'm on is less than 10 people. And uh, as far as U.S. wineries go, it's my colleague, Peter Johnson and I, and that's it. Uh, and so he and I say, U.S. wineries, come to us, <laughs> you know, let's do this. Uh, we can take all, you know, 14,000 of you on or whatever it is these days. Uh, and, you know, Peter's been with the company for a long, long time. And really, uh, he brought me in uh, several years ago and set the stage uh, for for us to really have a great impact. But um, our job is really simple. Um, and I, and I, I liken it back to when I was working on the winery side of the business. And I would tell my teams, my tasting room and hospitality teams, I would tell them, you know, people come here from all over the world to see what you do so they can go home and be just like you. And uh, you're you're the pro. And so the the wineries have a tremendous impact and the tasting room people are on the front lines and they deserve all of the credit. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I would tell my team some of the blame uh, if you're not on your game because you are the standard bearers. And so for us, our job is to partner with those winery teams and say, we're going to give you the tools to make your wine look great. We're going to give you the tools to teach your guests how to be, you know, lovers of your brand and your wine, because they're going to treat it with such reverence and respect that they're going to want to have this tool and have it be a part of that. And there's nothing greater than having these wonderful winery partners that we have at Coravin who endorse us by virtue of just using the device. We don't need them to give a speech. We don't need them to sell the devices for us. Just be who you are, share those beautiful wines, and it'll all take care of itself. So that's really, I guess that's my job is to, you know, help my partners look good so they can make their customers feel good. Are your your customers also like distributors and restaurants as well, or do you just specifically work with wineries? I am strictly with wineries. And so um, we we do have team members that work with distri distributors and restaurants, wine shops. Um, we joke that, you know, especially living here, I don't think I'm ever off duty per se. <laughs> we go out to dinner. Uh, people know it's Chris with Corvin. I, I mean, I, I've had people come up to the table like, hey, can you take a look at this? <laughs> or, hey, uh, when we were working on sparkling. So tell me about the sparkling, you know, and and so um, which was fun. I mean, it's I, I enjoy that. I, I think uh, being seen as an advocate and a resource, uh, I think, is important. Uh, but yeah, I, I really relish the opportunity to work strictly with the wineries myself, um, just because that's where I come from. And, um, I love being a part of that community. And so, uh, it's, it's really great. I was going to say, um, Chris, just in case some mm -hmm. people just landed on planet earth yesterday. Okay. And that probably was going to be my question. So she just dug me. So I'm an alien. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Did you tell people what a Corvin is? Sure. I was going to ask that, but a Corvin, that's great. <laughs> a Corvin is different things to different people. Uh, I, I can tell you it's a, 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 some people would call it a preservation device. Uh, it For some households it is uh, the thing that uh, avoids all arguments. Uh, and for uh, for other folks, uh, is a tool of self-discipline. Uh, and so, uh, but a, a Corvin uh, essentially uh, is a system that you can use to preserve wines once you've either opened them or in the case of our the original Corvin, a needle that goes through the cork that helps you dispense wine without 
exposing the wine to oxidation. And so your wines can last longer. So you can quite literally drink wines by the glass every night. And um, this came about because our founder, who's uh, uh, Greg Lambrecht, he's wicked, wicked genius. Great guy too. Super fun. Like he's, he's the most fun person uh, I, I <laughs> to be around. He's fantastic. Uh, Greg developed this um, because he worked in medical technology and had a needle that he was using in his work uh, that way. Uh, and it coincided with uh, his wife being pregnant and he wanted to be able to access wines without uh, having them oxidized because he wasn't going to drink a whole bottle. And so he thought, if I can take this needle that I've developed for this totally separate you know, enterprise and use it to retrieve wine, wouldn't that be great? And so that's how he developed what was called originally the wine mosquito. Um, and so um, this is why it's good that we have marketing people because wine mosquito might scare some folks, but, you know, Corvin sounds really cool and it's got a good logo. Uh, but the, the great thing is, is that uh, it really came out of necessity, but it, it took somebody. And I always love when people do this, when they take their talents in one area and they apply it somewhere else and it has that kind of impact. Uh, I, I think that's fantastic. I love stories like that. So that's very interesting. So you answered a couple of questions that I was going to ask, um, but can we circle back to something that you said about sparkling? So can you use a Coravin in a sparkling wine bottle or champagne bottle as well? So we, one of the things that Greg always talked about in when he started Coravin he was absolutely adamant about not pulling corks. We cannot pull a cork. This, this, you know, Corvin is about not pulling corks. Um, but there were some moments that came along that helped him see things a little differently. One, putting a needle into a sparkling bottle could be exactly. a really dangerous enterprise. Right. Uh, and, I'm like, oh my God, yeah. is that really happening? Yeah, that, that, that could be bad. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and when I say could be kids at home, it is bad. Uh, so, um, although kids on a wine podcast, who knows anyway, right. um, but, uh, it also came about that anybody who's used the traditional Corvin knows that you're pressing, pushing argon into the bottle. It preserves the wine, but it also allows to, to dispense the wine then. And it comes through a needle. So it's really small. So it's a small quantity of wine that comes out very gradually. Well, what if you want to pour faster? And what if you don't need your wine to preserve for months and years? You just need it to get through the week or the month. And this is how our pivot system came about. The idea of pulling the cork and putting in a special capsule into the bottle and the pivot system goes through that. And instead of having a tiny needle, it has a, a kind of a rod uh, a, with a larger gauge to it, and it allows more wine to pass and pour faster. So you can pour a full glass with pivot in five seconds, and um, you certainly couldn't do that with a traditional Coravin. Uh, and it'll still preserve the wine for up to 30 days. So pivot was a three years ago, we came out with pivot and that was, that was really, really big. And that's been very successful. Our, our winery partners have really enjoyed having that both for service, but also just accessibility. And so speaking of sparkling, mm -hmm. I have the sparkling Corvin here. Yes, you Can do. You oh, 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 okay. I see Can what's you going just on. <laughs> Can you just explain how this works sure. for people, the difference in the original yeah. Corvin and the sparkling? Yeah, so um, I and I put mine. Oh. I bring mine here so that we, you know we're okay. So okay. Um, this uh, is one of the greatest things we've ever done, uh, as far as you know. The the sparkling unit um, is great all around, but this capsule here that goes onto the bottle um, is just genius. The fact that um, people ask why did it take so long. Yeah. They come up with sparkling Corvin. We're going into year 11 now and sparkling just came out two years ago, um, almost three years ago. And the reason is that we needed the capsules to literally fit every bottle of sparkling in the world. 
And so that is really hard to do. You ladies know all the different shapes of the necks and everything, just my goodness. So that was, that's what took the longest was trying to find a way to get this to fit everything because we knew we needed to make the world's greatest Bouchon is essentially what we did. And so um, the clamp just goes up like this. You place it onto the bottle and you clamp it once, clamp it twice. So the once twice is really important because you're going to have that friend who gets excited and flips this and could lose their teeth, their chin, those TikTok videos where you see people knock themselves out. Yeah. So this is the anti-TikTok kill your friend capsule. And then the, the last hinge that you can take it off. And that's that's for safety purposes, but also for a tighter seal. On the top of this, you'll see this port here. And that's where our charger here is going to dock on top of that. And then you can repressurize the bottle with CO2. And nice. so instead of using argon, you're using CO2. It's going to blanket the wine. The wine continues to produce its own CO2, as we know. And so the sparkling device will um, protect your bubbles for up to four weeks. That's what we guarantee. I was going through my diploma program uh, for WSET uh, at the time that we were developing sparkling. So I got a prototype and it was amazing to use during the sparkling uh, unit because I only had to buy, I think it was 18 different bottles of, of bubbles from around the world. And I just kept those same bottles. Uh, and I think I had them for five or six weeks. Um, passed with the sanction, so it, I can't blame it on this. <laughs> so it must've worked. That's, it has nothing to do with me at all. It was the device. <laughs> I'm glad we have a great editor. So do we have an exchange program? Because I want to <laughs> I have this. Just I love mine. And it's interesting because you got a sparkling too? No, I have oh. I have um I was about to be the traditional. You heard that which one is that? No, you got a sparkling too? Listen, Leslie, she was gonna come for you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was about to I get just, Chris. No, I wasn't gonna get Leslie. I was about to get Chris. Leslie, watch yourself. Glennis was gonna come for you. Chris, I am grateful for whatever you give me. Okay, let me just say that. That's why I had I had one. I I I had one, an older generation one. Me too. Nine, eight years ago, right? Okay. And then, so when I saw this one and I was like, what is this little diamond shaped device on there? Mm -hmm. um, I was like, how does this, how does this fit? And it was the aerator. Mm -hmm. And I was like, look, a look -a here. It's Christmas time <laughs> all over again. And I love it. Yeah. I love that aerator on the, on the tip there. Yeah. yeah so that's the, the aerator is really great. I mean, I, I think. You know, and this is what I talk to our winery partners about a lot, um, because let's face it, if you're coming out to Sonoma or Napa and you live elsewhere, um, it's kind of like Catholics going to the Vatican. You're coming to worship, right? This is this is your, you know, and for some people, they only make it to the Vatican once. And so this is a big deal. And so your bottles, if if you're the winery that's lucky enough, and that's what I used to tell my my team if we're lucky enough to have these people, let's remember we're lucky enough. They chose us out of all the people they could have gone to see. They came to us. If we're lucky enough to have those folks and they buy bottles from us or hopefully cases, right? And they go home. Those are the wines that when they open their wine fridge on a Tuesday and they're looking through and they pull your bottle and they look at it and go, ah, you know what? I just, I, it's a Tuesday. I can't. But the thing is, is that if they do have a Corvin, all of a sudden that Friday night wine can be transformed to a Tuesday night wine. And you can start drinking those by the glass. And what's even better is that when you have that aerator, even if it's one of these larger, you know, Napa, red blends, cabs, what have you, if it's on the younger side or even has some of that primary alcohol, what have you, put that aerator on, use that. It gives the effect of an hour decant. But even better, it's just what it looks like. And I used to love using them in presentation. And I train winery teams to use them in presentation because I think allowing folks to have that moment of discovery 
give somebody two glasses, pour, pour the wine with just the Coravin into one glass, then put the aerator on and pour the same wine next in the net glass next to it with the aerator. And I don't care how much they know or don't know about wine, pick one up, smell it, pick the other one up and smell it. And you can see eyes turn into saucers. They are just, and they can, and they have that, whoa, they have that moment. And I think, and I, and I, <laughs> judging by the way y'all talk about it and everything like that, I know you appreciate that moment. And, and when we still, after all this time with wine, all of us here, when we get to have that wow, or that moment where somebody shows us something when it comes to wine, it's, it's incredible. And so you're doing somebody a great service by showing that to them. You're giving them a gift. And so uh, I think it's fun that our technology can give people that, those kind of gifts. Looking for somewhere to advertise? Consider the Swirl Suite podcast. Yep, right here. The Swirl Suite is now open for pre-roll advertisements, mid-roll advertisements, or post-roll advertisements. Some of our packages even include a social media shout out. If you're interested in sponsoring one episode or perhaps more, simply email us at swirlsuite at gmail.com. Cheers. Before we go to our closeout questions, tell us all about your winery, the wine that you and your family make. Oh, <laughs> uh, short story. Um, <laughs> we, um, when I was, when I was a little kid, um, again, my parents were teachers and uh, I was in second grade and I was asked to write about what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I wrote a, a little paragraph about how I wanted to be a dad. I had a great one. Um, still do. He's still here. Uh, and I wanted to be a dad. I wanted to cut the roses and put them on the bed for her to find. I wanted to take the kids and coach their soccer teams. I wanted to have secret root beer floats uh, when you were supposed to be heading home for dinner. Um, and that's what I wrote about. And I turned it in. And I got it back from my teacher a couple of days later. And I was told to redo it because I had um, done the assignment incorrectly because I hadn't uh, given um, what job I wanted to have. And I said, well, that's not what you asked. Um, my parents were English teachers. I'm a very literal person. My, my wife uh, curses me for it every day. Uh, and I said, that's not what you said. You said, what do I want to be? And um, I subsequently threw a temper tantrum, was thrown out of class uh, and sent to the office where my mom had to leave her classroom upstairs in the same school uh, to try to calm me down. And um, I took my first zero on any assignment at the age of seven when I refused to rewrite it. And so being a dad has always been a big thing to me. Uh, but I didn't get married until I was 41. And I didn't become a dad until I was 43. Uh, so life made me earn it. And so I was so excited by the fact that I got to finally be a dad. I quite literally wanted to bottle that, what that felt like. And so unbeknownst to my wife, I went and purchased one ton of fruit uh, here in the neighborhood and set about to make our first wine. And my thought was I would make it, throw some duct tape on the bottle, scrawl my child's name on it and say, here you go, honey. You know, and uh, that was going to be the plan. And uh, anyway, my wife at eight months pregnant, I summoned her out to the vineyard on the day of the pick and she waddled out there after I tricked her into believing that I, uh, my card broke down and she showed up and I handed her clippers and I said, let's go get the grapes for your daughter's wine. And she cut one bit of grapes, threw them in the bin. And she said, you're lucky I did my makeup. Let's take a picture. And so we took a picture and she went home. Uh, I finished the pick and, uh, that's how we got off to the races. Um, people liked that first wine. Uh, my wife told me to make it again. Then we had another kid and the order was you can't make wine for one kid, not the other. So I had to make wine for my son. And uh, by that time, it, it was this little gesture that I thought was cute was becoming very expensive. <laughs> and so I thought, I guess maybe we'll just keep making wines. And this seems to be something that's a part of our family. So um, we'll bottle probably about 650 cases this year. And um, like I said, it's something that for us, it's just something we do with the kids. 
um, you know, as I promised my wife, as long as we don't lose money, I'll keep doing it. Uh, so we started in 2017. And so here we are in 24. We just bottled 350 cases last week of some new wines that we're going to be sending out in the spring. And uh, yeah, we're having fun. It's just a way for us to tell stories. I I was a literature teacher and creative writing major. So I, I like to tell stories. Uh, now I use these wines instead of words. And um, my wife takes great pictures. My kids are damn cute. <laughs> that is us tearing up on a Monday? What in I the know. World? I know, and early on a Monday or late for you, Tanisha, <laughs> seriously. So, Chris, you, okay, so one, I got two questions. What's sure. the name of the winery? Because you never said. Oh, and, okay. two, and two, what varietals do you produce? Sure. Um, so we called it Puppioni Family Wines. Uh, it was something that we, again, it wasn't supposed to be anything. So I, I, I we didn't think of a business name until later, um, but in Talking to my wife, my promise to her was that um, nothing would get in the way of our family. And so calling it Puppioni Family Wines is not a very good um, marketing decision because Puppioni is an awful, awful name to try to pronounce for people who've never seen it. Uh, but uh, it's it's a not so subtle reminder to me, really, that family's first and it's, this is a family thing. And as long as it's family first and it's our family thing, it keeps going when it's not, we shut it down. So that's, uh, that's, that's how the name came about. Um, as far as the wines themselves, uh, we started with Syrah. It was the first wine that my wife and I had together when we were dating that we enjoyed together. It was the first one we both had. Wow. Um, I, I wish it was Pinot, uh, and sometimes because Pinot seems to be it seems to be a lot easier for some folks to sell, uh, certainly out here in our neighborhood. Uh, but we love Syrah, and uh, it was it was our wine, and so we made the first uh, wine Syrah. Uh, we do different red blends of Cab and Syrah, so we do um, different portions of Cab and Syrah, and then of course we have a standalone Cab. We do our um, our Festa wines, we have a duo, Festa Bianco and Festa Rosso. Festa meaning party in Italian, but it was also my great grandmother's um, maiden name. So it works out. Um, so we literally make a party white and a party red. Uh, they're both meant to be chilled. So the white is a Friolano and the red is a blend of Syrah Cab and Friolano. Uh, and that wine is very popular. Um, it sold out very quickly last year. Uh, so we're hoping we to do the same this year. So people love the chilled red. Uh, so uh, that's fun. And then um, I didn't want to neglect my mom's side of the family because uh, we spend a lot of time with them as well. So I created a second label uh, and called it Walker Bateman. Um, my mom was Walker. My cousins on that side of the family are Batemans. And so uh, I made a Chenin Blanc in honor of my grandmother on my mom's side and her sister's. And so we'll be releasing that this year too. So a lot of it is just, it's just family stuff. <laughs> it's just, it's just us keeping stories going. Wow. That's the, that, that's admirable. And with climate or global warming, the Fiesta Rosso is great to have yeah. a red wine that you can drink when it's so hot. Yeah, no, we we love that. I, you know, my first job in the industry was at Robert Mondavi. And, you know, I used to love to tell people that, you know, Mr. Mondavi's drink when he would go home would be Merlot over ice in a rocks glass. And uh, I, I figured, you know, if, if he can drink wine chilled down, then uh, I can make one that you chill down on purpose. So nice. So Thank you don't you. have any petite Verdot. I uh, no. <laughs> no. So I think Dang I'm in, it. right? <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear that. I just Thank God. to be sure on that one. No particular. Okay. <laughs> no, that is classic right there. <laughs> I love that so much. Like based on your stories, I feel like y'all need a reality show. I would totally watch that. Yes. Me too. But, yeah. You my wife and kids are way more entertaining and fun i i just i just tell the stories after the fact <laughs> <laughs>
All right. So um, we are running into the hour. So we just have a handful of random closeout questions. Sure. Um, I feel like all of us can answer one and the rest are just for you. Okay. Okay. Do you have a favorite dad joke? No, it's honestly, it's whatever's going to annoy my daughter the most. <laughs> uh, just she's, she's, <laughs> she's, uh, she's awesome. She's my, she's quite literally my best buddy. And uh, I, we just love, you know, trying to poke at each other. So whatever I can, whatever joke I can say, that's going to bug her in the moment. I mean, yesterday it was, she wanted to go see uh, the fairy garden and those little doors and people dress them up and put, you know, imaginary things. And I just kept saying, there's no berries. And she said, no fairy garden. I said, there's no berry garden. It's <laughs> it's the winter. And I just kept it going for like an hour. So for me, my favorite dad joke is just being persistently uh, annoying and ignorant. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this next question is for all of us. What was your favorite dad to watch on TV? Whether it's real or a character. Nobody has an answer. I have mine. You I'll start. Tell mine. <laughs> I really love watching LeBron James and his son. I love their camaraderie. Like I just saw footage of LeBron running out of his game, going to the locker room so he could catch his son's game and watch it on TV. So I just love watching them. Yeah, we don't like all this dead space. Um, you have too much to edit. Oh, it's um, fine. It's fine. <laughs> dead space is very easy. So easy. Take your time. Um, no, I was about to go back to the favorite dad joke. I'd rather do that because, you know, there's so many TV dads back in the day. You got Archie Bunker. You got George Jefferson. You got uh, Red Fox. So I'm not even going to go down there. But my favorite dad joke would have been tell my dad, okay, I'm going to need you to get another dance beside the Smurf. And we would be dancing. You know, you think about, let's talk about, do that last dance with your dad because he's not here no more. I would love to see him do the smirk. Oh, again. God damn it, Glennis. This is not a crying episode. I know. <laughs> so, anybody else? <laughs> okay, so. Us up. I, um, I can't really think of anybody except Bill Cosby. And I know it's so unpopular to say. I know. I know we can't say him out loud, but like. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. He I was very good at him. his job. He was very, yeah, very good was. at his job. I also like Alan Ties. I like him too. Oh wait, yeah. would you say Tanisha Family Ties? Alan Thick from Family Ties. The oh yeah, sure. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you, thank you for the same. Ties, Growing Pains. He was Growing Pains. Yeah, I was gonna say that's a different show. Yeah, yeah. He was the Growing Pains dad. I liked him. Real Talk. Um, Frank Costanza. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's hilarious to me. He is hilarious. Um, James Evans, singer, like we, we, oh, yeah, take it all the way back yeah. to Chicago. Oh, so, yeah. Um, the Norman Lear series, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> um, any I'll other throw, favorite dads? I'll throw out two. Um, one a little more recent, uh, Jack Pearson, This Is Us. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. all so the dads he, all the dads on um, this show were awesome I, I, I liked that he was uh, there was some hero worship there which made it almost uh, uh, you know kind of odd but the fact that they redeemed themselves by showing his flaws I think that was I think that was good um, and speaking of flaws uh, Peter Griffin <laughs> from Family Guy I love Peter <laughs> okay. I'm I'm the world's worst dad because I let my kids watch Family Guy from birth so uh you know I figure if I set the bar really low <laughs> then I look really really good so it was just all part of my parenting strategy yeah sounds like you're raising the right to me Chris <laughs> thank you please, <laughs> I appreciate that number one dad love it yes love it <laughs> okay all right, Chris, next one's for you. What is your favorite place for a play date? Um, we, you know, my, my dad was awesome about doing stuff like that. You know, I mean, I remember a play date that my, you know, we didn't call them play dates when I was a kid. It's just like you have friends over, or you hang out or whatever it was. Right. Play date just seems weird to me. I still have trouble with that word, but, um, 
uh, you know, I mean, he took, he took my buddies and I, he took us to pier 39, the city. I mean, we lived across, across the way. It wasn't far, but we went to pier 39, San Francisco. And then we'd go out to Fort point, which is the old fort underneath the golden gate bridge. We were, and then, uh, the exploratory, I mean, we were like eight or nine and it was just like Rich's day of fun. It was amazing. Uh, and I, I feel like, I feel like I suck in comparison. Cause I, you know, I tell my daughter, like, yeah, if your friend wants to come on a hike with us, because my daughter and I love to hike, you know, she's six, but she'll go out. She'll she'll go three, four, five, six miles. She does not care. Uh, you know, uh, that that would be ideal for us. Um, but uh, um, thankfully, my wife is more game for diverse things. So my idea of a play date would be like, let's go for a hike. Let's at least achieve something today. <laughs> OK, do you prefer pick up or drop off? Uh, can I say neither? Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so you have I, a choice. <laughs> so, luckily, again, my my wife and I are really good about um, letting each other play to our strengths. Um, patience is not one of my strengths, so that really doesn't come in handy. Having a lack of patience when it comes to pick up and drop off. Uh, so, I do pick my daughter up quite a bit, but I I don't do the whole sit in the line of cars and get angry at everybody who cuts you off or does all. I literally park like three blocks away and walk. And I just roll my eyes as I walk past. I'm just going to walk in and grab you. Let's walk together. It gives us time alone, talk. Nobody has to get upset. It's I, I completely avoid it altogether. I, we just didn't have that growing up. I think because I grew up in a major city and most of us just got on like a regular Metro bus and, and the train, but I don't remember hearing these pickup drop off stories growing up from people who lived in sub the suburbs. Leslie, you get angry about stupid stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we're, I mean, we're all like latchkey kids, kind of like yeah. you know that was, that was. I mean, my parents were teachers; they had their own students and they had their own practices and meetings. I, yeah, there's the bus. <laughs> you know, see you later. Got so, it. yeah. All right, last question for you, Chris. If this item is left on your kid's plate, you will always eat it. Um, so uh, now see my kid, my, my wife, she tells me that I've uh, I'm conspiring against her with the kids uh, because um, when they don't eat something, it's something that I won't eat. So it's, she says, you told them not to eat that. So I won't make it anymore. And so, you know, so, so it's, you know, I'd love to say bacon or tri-tip or mashed potatoes, but no kids are crushing that. They have no problem. You know, um, I get fried chicken once a year. My wife makes kill killer fried chicken, but I only get it once a year and I have to fight for it. Uh, I, you know, it's supposed to be for me on my birthday, but, um, yeah, fried chicken and champagne. That's my birthday. So, but, uh, yeah, the kids crush that stuff too. So, um, I wish I could say something else. <laughs> and I bet you finish all the sparkling wine and you don't have to use a sparkling Corvette. Ooh. Uh, well, actually, we use it on the third bottle. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. oh. oh my God. You are okay Chris. with me. <laughs> me take that, Glennis. He had it ready for exactly. you. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Glennis tried to come for you, Chris. Chris was ready. <laughs> oh my goodness awesome that was fantastic yes indeed yes indeed chris this has been a pleasure thank you so much for joining us today thank you um taking the time to talk thank you for the corvin gifts um yeah, as you yeah. can see we're very excited so that thank is. you so much for that yes very much so thank you for everything it's yeah well great. thanks for having me it was fun visiting with y'all and i I, I enjoyed uh, getting to listen to some of the previous uh, shows, preparing myself. So I, I was I was ready for you. All right. <laughs> I, love I love it. It sounds like he's talking about you, Glennis. <laughs> I, exactly. You know, I have to keep up my standard. In, you know, in but okay, I still want me my own sparkling one, and I will. I am willing to pay for it. So mm. at, at your discount. So let's talk about it. Amazing. Love that idea. All right. Well, that is a Cheers. wrap, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. That is excellent. Thanks for joining the Swirl Suite. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. 
leave us five stars and leave us a comment. We love ratings. Also, be sure to follow all of us on social media. Myself at Vine Me Up, Glennis at Vino Noir, Girl Meets Glass is Tanisha, Vino 301 is Leslie, and you can follow the Swirl Suite podcast account at Swirl Suite. The Swirl Suite is now a part of the Alive Podcast Network. This episode has been edited and produced by Vine Me Up Media. <laughs>